When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. I'm now away to get me suit, my shot. Yes! What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> oh, well, I asked him which way he thinks it should be done. everybody and welcome to sacked in the morning the football podcast that has finally got back together to record a football podcast my name is richard i am your host each and every episode on this football podcast this week i am joined by thomas and thank you very much for joining me again gentlemen how are we yeah that's is sehr gut yeah and uh, die deutsche Mannschaft is scheiser yeah. Continue. Did a whole show in German there. Wankenwagen. <laughs> <laughs> Man Kaninchen is kaput. <laughs> Nina's going to love that. <laughs> For Zilando so, chocolate. Yeah. We are um, we're post-Germany knockout, obviously, of the World Cup. <laughs> so uh, Tom is taking the opportunity to rub it into me and feeling. So... Less than two minutes, just, just, Less than two minutes. Just, just you two, not not the Germans. I don't care about them. Yeah, he's just, just you two. Tom's a racist. Tom no, doesn't I, like I, German. I, no, I just said I don't. Uh, Tom wished that all German people would perish from oh, this no. earth. No, 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 no. <laughs> allegedly, no, I, before no, we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, yeah. I take um, pleasure in seeing Germany fail in uh, football competition. I. Because they're our rivals, aren't they? Just the same as Scotland or and, Argentina. And Argentina and Spain well, and anyone, Russia and anyone. Anyone that's a direct rival. It's like uh, Arsenal. I take pleasure when Spurs lose or Chelsea lose or Liverpool lose or Man United lose. You know? I just well, enjoy and the, the prevarication when you win. Yes. I yes. mean, they are top of the league, mate. So. Yes, uh, top, of, top of the league at Christmas. 
yeah, maybe uh, maybe hold off on the insults on Arsenal for the time being. Let's see if they help inflate his ego. Mate, I'm just saying, I'm trying to cover our backs as well, you know? Like, we've got to stop seeming so sure about things because then he's going to rub it in more, isn't he? Did you, at the moment, we're 11 points clear of fifth. Did did you have Arsenal to finish outside the top four thing? I did. Yeah, and I'm not going to brag about that too much yet because... I was going to say, I need to back it up a little bit. we, We could completely capitulate, you never know. There's still time. Jesus There's still is time, now injured. So exactly. What, yeah, you know. well, what I said go- all the way through is strength in depth is Arsenal's problem and it will come to bite you. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Ben White at the moment as well. I don't know what that situation is. We have no information on that at all, apart from the fact he went home. Did it say for personal reasons? Yeah. It I, was just like a literally like a two-line statement that said Ben White has left the England yeah, camp. Yeah, so I don't know. Please respect his privacy at this time. Yeah, so that that's sounds like personal. Yeah, it does sound good, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that problem as well. Apparently, Tommy Asu is so uh, distraught that Japan got knocked out of the World Cup, he's physically unable to play or, or some some. Shit I read to the other other language. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, about language you were using on the last podcast, mate, I would not criticize me for that. Yeah, but you're not the one that has to bleep it. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Okay. If I choose to say That's up to me Because I'm the one that has to block that out right. But you guys You don't get to give me extra work But you just gave yourself extra work I was just picturing a DX pro- I, I just pictured <laughs> yeah, a DX that was right yeah. yeah, This is the worst we cannot say Yeah <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. So let's get on with the show then, shall we, gentlemen? So, Tom, yes, you wanted a critique. Yeah, since I wasn't here for the last podcast, you know, some minor things I wanted to critique. Go ahead. Um, I'm always have... complaining, uh, isn't he? Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, I, I might have got it wrong, and he, I might have got it wrong, and he isn't here to he defend himself. But did Danny say that he's never heard of Gareth Southgate? Yeah, last week, never he did. Yeah, okay. But to be fair, he is like what. And he's younger than we are. When was he born? 95, I think. Gareth Southgate's relevance was 96. Yeah. As a player, right? Yeah. And then after that, not really relevant as a player in any way. So I, I, I kind of get the he hasn't heard of him. But my, my initial reaction was like, what? But then obviously if you're an England fan, you, you know who Gareth Southgate is because he crushed our dreams and you're in 96. I think if you're an England fan that's aware of the 90s. I also yeah. don't think... And also, anybody outside of England, Gareth Southgate's name, oh, who compared to it, really better Rooney or Gerard, or something like that. yeah, of course, yeah, exactly. Um, you kept calling Mike Bassett Dave Bassett, and I kept screaming at the podcast. Jesus, really nitpicking, <laughs> isn't he? I mean, I thought he was going to come up with some solid points about VAR and stuff. No, oh, damn, no. yeah, was just, you getting Mike Bassett's name wrong was like, why would you keep calling him that? <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. Dave Bassett was a manager. He was a manager, yeah. 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 Maybe that's who I meant. Did you think that that's not who I meant? Absolutely. Well, you're just making assumptions (laughs) now, aren't you? But I'm correct. (laughs) So there's one World Cup thing you talked about, which at the moment I would say is a bad take. But, you know, we've still got three games left of the tournament, so I'm not going to hold you too much against it. Okay. But you both said because Brazil have got an aging defence, they're going to ship goals. 
and so far they have not. To be fair, I don't think I said they're going to ship goals. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that said that's not. They're not that old. That's not. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that was trying to defend the defense, wasn't I? Yeah. And I'm fairly certain I said they 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 got the susceptibility now, to I... ship goals. I didn't say they were actually going to ship loads of goals. I said they are susceptible to shipping goals if they come up against a team that is predominantly a paced, pace-based <laughs> And they haven't really come up against anything like that fast. yet, really, have they? To be honest. I mean, I don't think Croatia no, are even going to provide that next, yet. are they? Yeah, but I think Brazil generally have been solid so far. The only two goals they conceded were in a, in a, in a game against Cameroon when they had the second team out. Now, I'm pretty sure... Now, I will cop to the fact that I said I think they're going to struggle to score because I don't think their front line is very good. Right. Now, in this tournament, for some reason, they've all looked like absolute world beaters. And it's like, hang on a minute. Where the hell is this Richarlison for Tottenham? (laughs) I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. One goal Richarlison for Spurs, and like as soon as he puts on a Brazil shirt, he's like freaking scoring loadies, yeah. Like, yeah, but he he is uh, he is playing through in the middle for mm. Brazil, where we've predominantly used him out wide. I also think that he has a bit of a free role at Tottenham, like when Son plays as well, because Kane will all drop into deep lying positions, which will give the opportunity for Son or Richarlison or. Uh, Kulisevsky or whoever is playing to move into the middle. So I don't necessarily believe that that's the reason why. You've also got to think of he's familiar playing with the players in Brazil in the system that he's playing at Brazil, whereas Conte's asking him to do a very different job. So there is going to be some adaptability to that. Because even at Everton, when he was playing through the middle, he wasn't a prolific scorer by any stretch of the imagination. No, I mean, he's always looked ordinary wherever he's played in England, hasn't he? Like he's not a player that's just, you know, oh, God, this guy's going to be incredible yeah. if he could play for the right team or whatever. Just always a really ordinary player. Which is what I've always said. But, but now all of a sudden he's put on a Brazil shirt. And he looks like the second coming of Ronaldo. It's just, you um, know, so yeah, I, I will cop really. to the fact that I did say that I think they'll struggle to score because I don't think their front line is that good. Danny was the only one that said the front line is, like, amazing. But then I also did notice that Danny... I, I don't know if you remember this or not, Phelan, but he did kind of back down very quickly when both you and I said they're not that good. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah he, he, he seemed to be very swayed yeah, he didn't stand by to his conviction. our opinion. But if Tom's no. going to critique for what we said about Brazil, I would like to point out the fact that I got the notion of Spain lacking firepower up front could cost him in the tournament. 100% oh, spot on. I mean, I think we them. all said that they'll struggle to score, didn't we? I mean, we all said they've got well, no one that can Other than Costa Rica. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, they've struggled to score in every game other than that one, right? Costa Rica were weird in this tournament. Yeah, they were really weird. They've only scored, weird. They scored nine goals, seven which were in one Costa Rica were going through so. in that last game and mm-hmm. Spain were going out, which is unimaginable in that first game. For like five it minutes, they were going ball, through. It? Yeah. And then Germany had to ruin it all, didn't they? Was it still, they still went out. It was, yeah. Wasn't there a group that, for like a few minutes, like two of the teams that got knocked out were going through? I can't remember what group that was. But there was like a, uh, there was a moment where like for a few minutes, the two teams that went out of the group were the two teams that were going through in the group. 
can't yeah. remember what group it was now. But, but there was also like, this. Um, there was also this point of touch and go where there was almost fair play points yeah. involved, which yeah. you predict you could happen. I was, I was, on, I was, on that. I was so day. close. Yeah. What group was that? Um, uh, I can't remember what group it was, but. Poland, was it Poland? There was a, there was a group that was going down to fair play for a moment, mm. but then um, they ended up, someone ended up scoring, so it took fair play back out of the equation. Because they were, they were actually counting the yellow cards in the other match. They were like, right, it's now seven yellow cards to yeah, five yellow cards. So I think it was Poland and Mexico. Probably. Yeah, it became, it became like a whole, like almost yeah. like a movie subplot, yeah. didn't it, as the game was going yeah. on. And uh, my one final critique. Okay. Richard's England f- philosophy. Very confusing in this episode for me. Because at one point you go, oh, I think England should pick players on form. Mm-hmm. And then the next sentence you're like, well, he's got to pick Madison, hasn't he? That everyone's clamoring for Madison. And uh, if he doesn't think, pick Madison, he's spineless. I think you, mi- you, you missed the... Uh... Crossover. Well, Madison was in form when he did pick yeah. Madison. I mean, but first of all, Madison is in form, so yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. But I also think that you missed the point there that I was saying that he'd be spineless if he picked him, which right. he is. I do accuse Gareth Southgate of being spineless. But that's what you do if you were an England manager, you would pick players on form. Yeah. So you're saying you're spineless. Why? <laughs> Also, this notion that Gareth Southgate doesn't do any research whatsoever on anything is quite hilarious to me. Can you prove that he does? I don't know. I can't, but he's the England manager, so surely he's doing something. But I will say that he probably isn't doing a lot of research on players that are playing in Serie A, as you said in the podcast last week. Mm -hmm. But I think probably he knows a lot about this England team. You know, he's watching the games every week. I'm sure he knows James Madison's strength and weaknesses. You know, I, I don't think he'd just pick Phil Foden for the last game just because the public said that he should do. You don't agree with that? No, I think you're giving him way yeah. too much credit. I mean, credit he, he watched the USA game, right? He knew he wasn't good enough. But do you think that had anyone been clambering for Conor Gallagher, come on, he would have been like, I'll play Phil Foden. I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone's been coming from Conor Gallagher. No, but, but what I'm saying is yeah, is yeah. that it just so happened to coincide with most people thinking, well, Phil Foden's probably one of the best players in our team at the moment. Maybe play Phil yeah. Foden. But this is, a, this is a thing I have with um, Glenn Hoddle as well. I thought Glenn Hoddle was quite spineless in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Michael Owen. Bring on Michael Owen. Michael Owen. 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 Oh, look who's coming on. It's Michael Owen. Oh, what, what, a, what a shock. You know? Again, what do you expect him to do, though? Just ignore that and just play the crap players that he was already playing. But is he making those substitutions because he thinks they're the right substitutions? Yes. Or is he doing them because he's like, oh, the crowd's getting on my back a little bit here? A maybe bit, just to maybe a bit pressure of, a little bit. I was the same with Beckham in that tournament as well, wasn't it? He didn't start Beckham initially and then eventually brought him in. Uh, yeah, because uh, he started at Anderton on the yeah, right, right yeah. yeah, and then he moved Anderton into the centre. Yeah, Anderton yeah, so. was the difference in that team then. I, I don't know, like, man. I mean, he sees his players every day on the training on the training field and everything, you know. So, surely he's formulating the same opinions that we are anyway, right? 
I know he has his favourites and shit. One thing I say about Southgate is though, he seems to get criticised for every team selection in these tournaments and then he usually proves us. I know, he's proving us wrong in pretty much every game in, until it comes down to the crunch. It's because traditionally England managers, when they've been criticised for their team selection, the criticism has usually been ended up being correct in some way, whether it's taking an unfit player, whether it's um, playing someone that is so desperately out of form, whether it's sticking by players that are clearly past it, as you know, like Ericsson did at the 2002 World Cup. I don't think he should have started Dave Seaman in goal. Um there's, do you know what I mean? Every England manager get criticised. Every England manager will get criticised for people they don't pick. Uh, Gareth Southgate's use of substitutions still isn't great. We've got a 26 man squad. His substitution still isn't great. Say it wasn't good. Um, he did nothing to help change the. No, and that's the point I was getting to. He didn't do anything against the USA using substitutes to try and change no. the flow, the feel of the game. We were still on the back foot for the majority mm. of it. And we've got a bit fortunate with the way certain things have gone. Of course we have. Against, against France, it, it, he's either going to be, he's either going to get it tactically right or he's going to go horribly wrong. As we were debating earlier about whether you go to a back three with wing backs to offer greater protection from the pace of Kylian Mbappe, whether he's try, he plays a back four and he plays Trent going forward. And if that goes wrong, you know what it will be. He got the big call wrong. He played Trent over Walker. So either way, it's a situation if you're damned, if you do it, you're damned, if you don't. You, you can't please everybody. And you just have to... You I know, do find you it unbelievable that he's been planning for Mbappe for two years, though. Surely that's not correct. No, that wasn't Southgate. The, the report that came out wasn't Southgate planning for it. It was the FA. Uh, right. The FA have had people watching the French national team. They've, they've had specific... Yeah, surely they've had that for most the, national teams. Right? That's uh, not just France. I mean, it's going to be... I, I think it no, I think it was specifically for teams yeah. that they looked at the World Cup draw and looked at yeah, who we yeah, could run into in later stages. Yeah. And one of the things that they looked at... Yeah. And it, but, it, but it came out as we've been watching Mbappe for two years. Yeah. No, there's, they were watching no France. Way. Like, they watch... Germany, they they watch like any potential opponent. They could have been watching Spain. They'd be probably been watching mm-hmm. Portugal. There's no, Do you know there's what no I mean? way they would have known we we're playing That's... France two years ago. No way. Draw, you know, no no chance. No, you you just work you just work yeah, through the yeah. draw and you work through scenarios, don't you? So one thing I want to say, it's just about doing your background and due diligence. The moment. They look really good. Don't get me wrong. The French team look great, but I do think that there is an imbalance there slightly. I think that if you can, if you stop their midfield. Well, you stop I, I mean, I'm I'm looking at a team that in you know you've got Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele, and Griezmann all in that team. You know, that's a, they're they're very attacking players. They're not players that are necessarily going to want to look to track back a lot. So if you can bypass them and isolate the midfield, then you can control that game. I think. They they look very imbalanced. They look good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they look good, but but that's what Tun- that's what Tunisia did to them. Yeah, just Tunisia just... cut the supply from the from the two holding midfield players up to that front three because yeah. they're not going to go back over the halfway line generally to go get the ball exactly in a, yeah. in a defensive shape. So if you, you bypass if you those those form attackers, yeah, you can you can nullify you stop this team. Stop the supply coming out from Rabiot into Griezmann and you'll basically control the flow of the game. You'll control yeah. France to a degree. 
I mean, I think which is Trotter, what Tunisia did. Even if France, they did try and appeal their decision to, you know, disallow their goal after the final whistle had gone. <laughs> yeah, true. I think France have got good defenders, but I don't think they've got great defenders. But this goes to the point that I made on the last episode as well, that I don't think any team has great defenders. No. Possibly. No, just... I mean, Maguire is great, obviously, and uh, Stones. <laughs> Um, I mean the old guys. I mean Pepe, Thiago Silva. Silva. These guys have looked, yeah, pretty really classy. So They've looked pretty good, but I don't think they've really been tested yet. Yeah. I mean Pepe's had a very quiet tournament. By, I mean, not many teams have like really taken the sword to Portugal, have they? They haven't looked under the cosh. They're a beatable team, but no one seems to have really pushed at them yet. But having said that, yeah, Pepe, Thiago Silva. They've looked really classy in this tournament. They've looked good. You can see why they're like, they've been at the top of their game for so long. But having said that, test them. 39 year old, yeah. you know, 39, 38, you could get at them, you know, like. Yeah, I certainly think they've, 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 they've lost games that you wouldn't have pictured them losing. Who? Portugal and uh, Brazil. They've both lost games that I wouldn't have expected them to lose. I think most teams have been like that this tournament, though. They, it's been, know, yeah. It's been, very... yeah it's been a lot of surprise results, yeah. But yeah, I would sure. say that no defence looks rock solid in this tournament. I think they're all very beatable. But this is what I said in the last episode as well, is that I generally don't think defence is a priority for most teams nowadays. So the best defence so far has been Morocco, right? How many goals have they conceded? One? One or two, not many. England have only conceded two. I think the only team to score against Morocco was Canada. England have conceded two and we get three consecutive clean sheets. But that doesn't mean much when you go up against France next, does it? Really. Mm. But, and France yeah. haven't kept a clean sheet all tournament, and again, that doesn't mean anything because they're they're yeah. generally overrunning teams. But yeah, I would like to get back to to this point. So, what 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 exactly is your criticism of my comment? No, I didn't really understand about, you know, you're saying we should pick players on form and then you'll criticise the manager for doing exactly the same thing. No, what I'm criticising the manager for is the manager is, he didn't, I don't think he picked uh, James Madison because of form. Right. I think he picked him because everyone was saying he should pick him. Right. And that's why, because... Like we, the, the whole point was based around Tamori and Smalling, who are doing very well in Serie A at the moment, but he didn't pick them. And I said, that's because yeah. no one is clambering for them. Outside, I have mind. Everyone was clambering for James Madison. He had to pick him. Yeah. That was what it was. I don't think he picked him because James Madison's on form. I think he picked him because he felt, if I don't, people are going to, you know, get on my back. And if it wasn't... A twenty-six man squad, Madison wouldn't be going. That's a good if it was point. a twenty-three, if it was a twenty-three man, Madison wouldn't be going. I think he would have because gone ahead it's twenty-six. Surely, and there's, but Gallagher wouldn't have gone if it was a twenty-three man squad. I think Probably he's not. picked a couple of players because he wanted a little bit extra depth, and it's damning in the indictment of the fact that I, I, where I agree with Richard on this point, James Madison hasn't kicked a ball in anger yet in this tournament. But he's brought players on that have been returning from injury. Calvin uh, Phillips, for one, has come on the last three games for 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there to build up his fitness because he wants to use him potentially later on in the tournament. James Madison hasn't kicked the ball yet. 
Ben White obviously hadn't done before he left. So you can see the fact that you can debate whether Madison's there on merit or not. But I do agree with Richard, and I think the only reason why, one of the reasons why he's there is because the whole public were calling for him, and he's got 26 places, and he's not, he's not going to really use him, but he'll take him because he'll carry favour with the British press. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I and mean, that's the point I think Richard was trying to make, that because the papers and the press and the pundits all wanted Madison to go, he picked him. If they weren't clambering for him, he wouldn't be going. Yeah, but you said that Foden was only getting picked because because Southgate was spineless as well. No, 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 no. I didn't. I never said that. Foden would always have been going no matter oh, what. Of course, yeah. Because that's like he's one of the top picks. He plays for one of the top teams. What I said to you about that game as well, and I don't know if I said this on the podcast or not. I'm pretty sure this is a no, private conversation pretty, that, we had, that he only played. Bowden because everyone said he should play Bowden. I'm not saying that, that like that doesn't come into the argument at all, but there are other factors, you know, rather than just that. You know, I mean, Mount's been completely dropped for the last two games now, hasn't he? Because yeah. Bowden's coming in been better. Awful. Yeah, but Mount's Mount should been never have been in that team in the first place, you know? Yeah, probably. I mean, he's been England's worst player at this World Cup. I don't know, he looked the most dangerous player against USA just because he had one shot and that was pretty much it. The first half and then he did nothing second half. Even so, a lot of Chelsea fans I speak to agree that he has been the worst player at this tournament. Okay. For England, yeah, probably. I'd say if Sterling hadn't scored in the first game, he might be up there as well. All these Chelsea players. Ugh. You know. Again, they're Chelsea players. Mm. I mean, going back to Madison, sorry. Um, statistically, um, he definitely should have gone in terms of goals and assists for the year. Yeah. In terms of obviously international experience, has he um, has he played for England at all? But but uh, this is yeah. what I've pointed out as well. I pointed this out mm. on the last podcast and I pointed it out on our Discord. By the way, we have a Discord now. Go and check it out, Rich T Entertainment. Um, I pointed this out on there is that if, if this tournament has proved anything, especially the Portugal game, is that there's no such thing as you don't have enough experience at international level. Well, talk about the strikers scored every night. Yeah, but every single player who's like never, you know, the young players usually are your best players because yeah. this is the thing. They've got no baggage with them. They've got no issues. They want to go out and they want to perform. So I don't buy this whole, oh, he doesn't have enough experience. Does he? Who cares? He is a professional footballer who wants to, Go out there and show yeah. why you should be playing him. I think it would be dangerous to pick a whole team of in, in yeah. When are you ever going to pick a whole team of, um, you know... But do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, really it's mean. not Dave Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Bassett, actually. Benson and Hedges up yeah, front, yeah, you know, yeah. bloody... Yeah. yeah, that is never going to happen. But if you pepper in one, two, even three players that don't really have a lot of experience... But are young and hungry, they'll they'll prove you. They'll go good. Every player we rave about in, in World Cup history. Oh my God! Do you remember when he burst on the scene? He was the best player in that tournament. How many caps did they have? Three, four, five. I mean, how many caps did Owen have before '98? Yeah, not many, right? Yeah, I think um, he played two friendly games or something. Probably, before yeah. That. I think he only made his debut in like February, March of that year, right? Yeah. 
So and he just came on that Argentina game, boom. Yeah. And yes, I get the fact, the irony that I'm saying he he only brought Owen on because everyone was calling for Owen, but that was in the Romania game, wasn't it? That he brought Owen on. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Well, yeah. So then he came on and he did really well in that game. Yeah. That's fine. So he dropped Sheringham and kept Owen for the next game, and then and then he goes and does that against Argentina. But that's what I'm saying is. The, the young, hungry players will always bring... So I don't buy this whole... Mm, don't have a really the long only... experience. The Dutch goalkeeper made his debut at this... At the first game of, of this tournament, you know? My, the only caveat I would say is they would need to be playing for their clubs fairly regularly. It's not like England taking yeah. Theo Walcott literally out of thin air to the 2002 yeah, World Cup. Uh, what, yeah, 2002, yeah, yeah. I, 2006? 2006. You know. I mean, we yeah, don't they, know, though. I mean, we, we will never know what Theo Walcott could have done at that World Cup. We will never know that now. You don't know. He might have brought him on and he might have just absolutely obliterated the teams with his pace. I highly doubt that. How but, do you know? Of course. There's no, there's no way like, I could know the that. Reason but... why, <laughs> like, yeah. Bellingham in itself has been playing first-team football for Dortmund for a couple of years. There has to be a little bit of that because otherwise... I am not, you're not, you're not saying... You're not, you're not doing the player any, any service either. I'm not saying... the player wouldn't have played too many professional games, and that's that's a lot of expectation to put on somebody with limited to no experience of first-team football. I'm not talking just international football, I'm talking first-team football in general. Okay, I am not saying that I would have taken Theo Walcott to that World Cup. That was a stupid decision. I agree with that. I, I'm not arguing that point. What I'm saying is that you don't know what he could have done had he been brought on. Maybe he would have just been like, screw it, this is my chance, you know, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I wasn't supposed to be here anyway, so to hell with it, I'm just going to go for it. You don't know because, I mean, what do they say? The ignorance of youth, you yeah. know, like you're not burdened with a lot of stuff when you're young. You're like, <laughs> yeah, of course I belong here. I'm the greatest. It's usually adults that have like imposter syndrome issues where they're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, they're going to get on my back. Oh, no, playing for England. Oh, I'm going to mess up and everyone's going to hate me. And uh, just don't get sent off. Just don't get sent off or something like that. You know, a young player, they'll be like, hell with it. Yeah, this is my time to shine. Let's go for it. But, but yeah, what does it do for a player's confidence to just. So th- my question back to you then is certainly with like the, the James Madison thing we just made. What confidence does it? What happens to a player's confidence if you take them and then don't play them at all? That is the other thing. Yeah, I think that that could probably go one of two ways. I think that can either go with the whole "screw you, I'm going to show you what I can do" kind of thing. Yep. Or it goes to the, you know, oh, I guess I wasn't good enough to to go. Oh, should never have been in that team kind of thing. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't think, I think that all depends on personality. It, yeah, of course. Um... I mean, I think in the back of everyone's mind when Madison got picked, it was like, is he going to get on? Probably not. Do you guys reckon he'll get on at all at any point in this tournament? No. Dead, dead rubber. No. But I don't even think he'll play in a third-place playoff game because that's the only dead <laughs> rubber game we're going to have now, realistically, isn't it? Well, no, but I mean, if we're like, you know, th- this isn't going to happen, by the way. I'm not saying this. But if we're like four or five nil up against France, then... This isn't going to happen. I'm no, not saying that, you know, maybe in that situation, you'd be like, go and have a run out for five minutes or but so. But you could have done that against Senegal when they were just 3 nil up and absolutely cruising. Instead, who came on? Greenish and Rashford. Yeah. 
Do you know what yeah, I mean? I, that, I definitely they, think they, he's not at the very bottom of the pecking order. That's Conor Gallagher. You reckon? But yeah, you reckon Conor Gallagher? <laughs> yeah, I'm, Conor I'm, Gallagher. I'm willing to bet Conor Gallagher gets on rather than Madison. Really? No, I don't think only for injuries. Think them will get on. I was say I'd take that bet. Bloody hell, yeah. No, Conor Gallagher's at the bottom of the pecking order. James Madison's just above him, but they're all still below White. everyone else. Ben White's not, yes. ben White's not there anymore, is he? No, but if it was only a 23-man squad, not 26, Ben White, Conor Gallagher, James Madison wouldn't have gone. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Hmm, not the, so sure about Ben White. Extras. I think you're right. Maybe Eric first. Dyer then? No, he would have gone Eric Dyer or Ben White. White. One of those two wouldn't have gone. He, he would have gone ahead of Ben White because uh, Gareth... Eric Dyer's his boy, right? Same with Connor Cody, he's his boy. But why's Connor Cody not played then? But he's like in the squad at all time, isn't he? Point. I just feel like though, because especially after Southgate let Ben White go from the Euro squad, it's they are the three that if it was a twenty-three man wouldn't be there. I'm fairly confident to say that those three I, would not have been going if it was. I think I think Callum Wilson wouldn't have gone, and Ben White would have. Mm. Sure. No, because they'd still need a striker. As they'd still yeah. want some form of striker to cover Harry Kane, just in case. Raheem Sterling. No, no. Please. Southgate would never. Southgate doesn't use him there. I'd say Rashford. Southgate has no. used him there. What are you talking about? I said I don't think he would use him there in this tournament. Did it the Euros? So. And let's face it, that experiment for Chelsea has been completely rubbish. Uh, Potter's not even playing him there now, is he? No, no, it's a Bamiya no. in front yeah. now, isn't it? So, so. Yeah. Or the um, their youth Bojan. player, Bojan. Bojan, Bojan. Bojan has gone to Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he retired. Yeah. How no, old is he now? Must be his late 30s, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I still think Callum Wilson, personally. You ask me, I say Callum Wilson. You may disagree, and that's fine. We can disagree. But, yeah. I think, he, I yeah, think he'd take... I think he'd take a defensive player over an attacking player because he's very defensive minded. Yeah, possibly. No, but you still have to. In in, I, I still think you'd be stupid to not take cover for Kane. Right, and when has anyone ever accused anyone of being a hundred percent smart? I mean, I I think Rashford could do that now because he's in quite a lot of form at the moment. Yeah, that's the thing. You got Rashford there as well yeah, already, I mean, so. Uh... My argument would be is that Callum Wilson does a very similar job in terms of dropping deep, linking the play as what Kane does. If they play Rashford, Southgate would come up with a completely different way of playing. It would completely change the style of England, and I, I can't, I couldn't, I wouldn't see Southgate wanting to do that midway for a tournament. If Kane went down injured, which is why I think Wilson would have gone. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, we will indeed. Yeah, you got any? More. No, that's my, all my critiques. <laughs> you, you done. Got no, no more. No critiques out. Okay, cool. No, no, no critiques for me then. Just, just all rich, yeah. Yeah. How comes he got off scot free? Uh, he must have heard about Brazil and defence in that podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, that was your one, wasn't it? Yeah, because he said that about me, and I was like, I didn't say that. That was feeling. Yeah, yeah. So you got the Brazil defence. Don't worry, feeling. You have a lot of critiques. Just, you just got everything else. Yeah, I got, I got the Gareth Southgate schlop, and and. Danny got let off straight away because he's young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, don't worry, you're going to have a lot of critiques for the World Cup prediction. Yeah, mate, it's coming. Trust yeah. me. Uh, uh, yeah, all right. I shouldn't have opened my mouth. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just as an FYI, I am not sitting on that. If Tom, if Tom's prediction comes through, I, I will be mysteri- meticulously uh, 
conspiracy by my absence <laughs> review program. What if he if he like gets Brazil win the World Cup? If Brazil win the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he I does have England well. beating France in the next game. I so. do, yeah. I'm yeah, not confident about that at all. Well, we'll we'll go over Tom, that Tom, on the. Tom will just be unbearable, and I be conspicuous <laughs> by my absence. We'll go over that on the next episode. That's fine. So, Vilan, what did you want to talk about today? Well, seeing as we don't actually have any, like, we're reviewing the World Cup later on and there's no other football at the moment, I had the thought of, you know, we did a little bit at the very start of this to, like, introduce our, like, footballing background and whatnot, but I thought it might be worth giving some people a bit of an insight into us as football fans, basically, where it started, what our favourite moments are, Greatest players, that you know, our favourite players, favourite games, uh, lowest moments, that sort of thing. Just give people a bit of an insight into us, really. Okay, do you want to kick us off? I can. So, my... So, I've been doing... You know, everyone has been a Spurs fan. I've been a Spurs fan for an awful long time. First Spurs game I ever watched was the 91 FA Cup final. At that point, I was hooked because... Spurs won the trophy and I was like, ah, great, you know, they win things. And <laughs> little did he know. <laughs> yeah, little did I know. It's it's all pain and suffering from from there. But <laughs> I feel like I'm um talking to one of my mates earlier, I feel like I was very blessed to have watched kind of through the start of the Premier League, that kind of mid to that two the year two thousands kind of golden era, as it were. because um, it contains some absolute quality players. And that, you know, that's what Got us hooked on watching that every single day. Like my favourite player in terms of like who Spurs are signed would be Raphael van der Vaart. Interesting, okay. yeah. Absolute. Like didn't expect it. Deadline day special. Um, wasn't rumoured. Wasn't talks with it. Was like it was days. It was happening. It was literally deadline day. Spurs are signed van der Vaart. Don't call him me, a wheeler dealer. All right. Don't you dare <laughs> call him a wheeler dealer. I, it was. I was never going to call him that. <laughs> I was expecting you to say Klinsman. No, you see, if Klingsman had been around longer, then maybe. Mm. But he only really did one full season, then left, and then come back when come we back were alone, absolute. Yeah. Out back on loan when we were absolutely rubbish. Yeah. And Klingsman was kind of getting towards the end of his career when we picked him up. So as much as Klingsman was a, I I, I call Klingsman a vanity signing because that's what he was. He was a vanity signing for that for that team. Which you've one? got Anderton in there when you got uh, the first time around. You got Anderton, time, and you've right. got Sh- yeah, you got Sheringham, and you've got Barnby, and you've got the Aussie RD list. Everybody attacks, nobody defends, and was, he was um, that kind of. He like Dimitrescu was there as well at that time. He wasn't was he? well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there. Mabbott was there. Campbell was just coming through. It was the vanity signing at the time because nobody a thought we could get him. Wasn't it? Was it four two four? Was our formation? Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah, yeah. There was no midfield. That 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 didn't exist. It was you go from defence to attack, and the midfield's there to try and win the ball back when it doesn't work. Yeah. But Van der Vaart was the one for me that kind of helped change that culture from us being the kind of the the, the laughing stock of the London teams into propelling a four-year continual kind of Champions League run, and helping Harry Redknapp really kind of turn the team round. 
you know, the launch of Bale and you know the the foe in Kane, Berbatov, all of that, all of that kind of thing. He, he is my all-time favourite Spurs player. Wow. Hmm. So, for, think I would... for, for, for what I've for what I've watched from football that I've watched, he you know, he didn't accept losing. He didn't accept it from his teammates. I know we dipped a little bit after Renap left when A V B came in and we sold Gareth Bale and wasted a lorry load of money. It just kinda of helped for me it was like that kind of turning of the corner. You'd ask and me then to Posh pick came in. Your favourite Spurs player. I don't think I've ever would have guessed Vanderbilt. I wouldn't, no, 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 no. no ever would have come in my head. That, no. Good, good pick, I though. Just, Shame you wasn't like for longer. I, I always bought two yeah, seasons. I, yeah. uh, two, three seasons, yeah. It was disappointing that they that he moved on um, when he did, but he was he was so, so, just so much fun to watch. Yeah, he was a very good player. I, I, I'll, I'll admit that. I I, um, I think that that's a very unique shout. I, uh, like like Tom said, I wouldn't have picked that. But... Um, Oleg Oleg Lusin is my favourite Arsenal player of all time. Oleg Lusin, yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, I <laughs> no, you, no, definitely not. No, no. So, who is your favourite Arsenal player? I will of all time? reveal that when feelings finished. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> favourite moment, probably as a Spurs fan, would be the the three three Ajax game. Oh yeah, go from like yeah. the lo- the lowest low into kind of the ultimate high. Um, getting an annoyed complaint from my labours because I was. Um, Celebrating rather loudly at kind of <laughs> close to ten o'clock in the evening, but I didn't really. I care. was um, yeah, a... I was in California in that game, so it oh, was really? like it was like eleven o'clock in the morning, um, and I was round my friend's sister-in-law's house, and we were just talking and, and we we were having a conversation, and then uh, I was just you know I figure ah we're, we're done here it's finished it's all it's all over, and uh, we so we were just having a conversation me and her. And uh, then Lucas Moore scored, and I, she was in the middle of something. And I just went, yeah. And then she was like, oh, what, 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 what? And then she was like, I'm like, what's going on? We're going for it. She's like, yay, I don't understand football. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like, for me, it's also the kind of the ultimate story. If you want to like, show non football fans why they should be a football fan, that game has pretty much everything in terms of like that ride of emotion. Mm-hmm. And then we had the Champions League final, which was, which was awful. It was. It was, was heartbreaking awful. more than anything, wasn't it? Really, it was awful to watch. Uh, I would say that. Yeah, but from I, your yeah, view, I, I, from your viewpoint, yeah, awful was as a fan, definitely. In both ways, it was. It wasn't a very yeah, good. It was, the game was terrible, and yeah. it wasn't. Uh, the game, the was game just... was ruined inside of ninety seconds, wasn't it? After yeah. the handball, which wasn't really handball, was given, that killed handball. it as a contest. No. It, it literally killed it as a contest. Ninety seconds in, considering the rule at that time actually stated, if the ball deflects off of a body part onto your hand, it will not be deemed as handball. Then he yeah. went handball, and it was like, well, it clearly came off of his thigh onto his hand. Yes. You know, yeah, are you... he's trying to block across. He's it, Mane's hit the ball against his thigh. It's gone against the underside of his arm, and that's that. Like, like, are we just ignoring the body. rules now? You know, like okay, yeah. fine, whatever. Should have refereed as best he could. Didn't they have VAR in that match as well? No, I think VAR oh. was after. No, 2019. Right. I mean, I know they might have done. Yeah, they they would have done because VAR helps. Just get past Man City, so yeah, it was the ad. Was, I think that yeah, that was the first season of VAR. I think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Man City game. Now you said it. Yeah. So then there you go. Where was VAR yeah. to say no? Nah, that deflected off. VAR sucks. 
Yeah. Ouch. I think most people who listen to the last episode know my stance on VAR. Moving. Yeah, let, 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 let's, let's not start Richard on his soapbox with VAR, please. We've got a World Cup review to, to have Richard go off on his soapbox about VAR. <laughs> let, please let, continue. Let, 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 let's, not let's not do that. No, let's not do that. To be fair, um, the, well, so to be fair, like possibly the worst VR decision I've seen was a Spurs goal where uh, Lucas Moore fell over and the Sheffield United defender smashed it against his arm. Oh yeah, while and, he was on the floor, yeah. And it went yeah, to Kane, and Kane yeah, yeah. scored. I was like, even I was like, what the f- seriously? Yeah, that like, was. What, yes. what are we doing here? You know, I'm fairly certain there's a video. My other half has a video of me reacting to that moment. <laughs> to be fair, that just, season, I, I, that that, <laughs> that same season, I felt like we were really victimized by by VAR. They're like there was like two goals that we scored that were like you could not tell if this person was offside or not. And then it was like, yeah, we'll give that as offside. And it's like are you there was one against it? Norwich where he's literally like, I think it was Harry Kane's pinky was offside. You couldn't even tell. Like, they went in, they zoomed in so far, and the picture was pixelated to hell that you could not yeah. tell where one thing stopped and another thing started. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, we got uh, on a tangent here. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, go on, yeah, go on. Talk about Spurs some more. Stop getting me on VAR. That's that's your fault. That's your guys. You sorry, we're drop. not mentioning it one more time. Yeah. We'll mention it again. You can't make that promise, Tom. It will slip, I'm sure. <laughs> and then we get Rich on his soapbox again. <laughs> He's like a race car. He's like a like a race car at the start line, ready for the green light to go. So you just go off on VAR. Um, no, don't, don't say that word. Yeah, just yeah, no. those... <laughs> talk about Spurs more. Yeah. What's what's hey, your what's hey, your Dan. what's your lowest moment then? Go on then. Champions League final, right? No, is it? No, it's not. The, it's not the Champions League final. It'll be watching uh, lowest moment. Will be um, the obviously Euro United six penalty shootout. Oh, England okay. Germany. Yeah. That's that. That will be for me my lowest moment. Because with Spurs, sometimes it's like it's not unusual to have those. I mean, the season we got really got relegated when things came in on loan. Sorry, um, was pretty bad. I thought we were going down at one point in that season. I actually like was I was almost resigned myself for the fact that we were getting relegated that year. The the second time he came back, yeah, the Christian Gross year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, The second time he came back, I I actually thought we were going down. I actually use that as one of my barometers when I talk to people. Like, when they're always like, oh, you must be, like, oh, like, really gutted that Spurs missed out on the title and stuff. And I'm like, I mean, kind of, yeah. But, I mean, I was there for the Christian Gross years. So, yeah. to be to be second same. in the league, I'm pretty happy about that, to be honest with you, you know. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm like, Even with the Champions League final was bad, but we lived through Christian Gross. To so just be in a, just to be, like, in that Champions yeah. League final after, yeah. you know... We almost got relegated for crying out loud. Um, but yeah, year ninety six, with the the, the semi final against Germany. Okay. What were your other your other things? So my favourite tournament, the, like as Tom Wabe was uh, World Cup two thousand and two. You just go through the list of players in that tournament. It is probably the most star studded World Cup. The certainly that I've seen as a um, as a football fan. When you, you go through like you go through that Brazil team. Oh yeah. Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldo. Carlos. Um Cafu. and you go through Cafu, you go you go, you, you, go, you go through the German team. Oliver Kahn, Oliver Bierhoff, 
You know, you've got know. you've got great names everywhere. France, uh, Henri, Will, uh, Will Tord, Zidane at like the peak of his of his powers, pretty much at that point. Even though France were awful in that tournament, um, you can go through pretty much every team that qualified and pick out really top class players. So that that would be my favourite tournament. Two thousand two, decent pick. Yep. Uh, best goal I've ever seen would be the best goal I've ever seen live would be a Morton Gantz Pedersen goal for Blackburn against Spurs where he hit it on the half volley for 35 yards at Ewood Park. Okay. Literally thing just flew like a rocket into the top corner and I got to see it live in the stadium. Why were you in Blackburn? Because uh, I was seeing my brother in Liverpool and we were trying to find somewhere oh. to actually go watch the game on TV. People are like we'll just go to the stadium. <laughs> so I looked on the uh, Spurs website to find out what time it was because I couldn't work out what time it was because um, I couldn't find a TV like listing anywhere. And it was like, yeah, you can buy tickets on the gate. And I was like, should we go? Because obviously Liverpool's not that far from Blackburn. And we were just like, yeah, screw it, we'll go. Yeah. Greatest goal I've seen not given would be the one that McAllister scored against Leicester from the corner. That goal was outrageous, but it was it wasn't given for some stupid reason that I won't get started on. No, Alexis McAllister for Brighton. Oh, for Brighton, season. right? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, I think I kind of remember what you're talking about. Didn't he score a belter in that game anyway? He scored a free kick, which was a pretty good free kick, but the yeah. volley was so much better. Yeah, I'm sure. I remember, yeah, I'm sure. I remember it being pretty good. Brighton scored five in that yeah. game, didn't they? Yeah. They did, yeah. And then Spurs scored five against Leicester the week after, following exactly the same pattern, which I always find, which I always think is hilarious. <laughs> two games finished, both finished five two. Um, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much me. To be fair, will always be a big Spurs fan, even though I have season tickets to Brighton at the moment, thanks to my because of the rest of my family. And I really want Spurs to win the league sometime, but it's probably not going to happen for a while. Yet. While Man City exists in the current form that they do, that. It's Man City's world and we just live in it. Who's top of the league? I'm not sure I agree with that either. No. I think that... But you won't be there coming into the season, Tom, so take that yeah, I, off I your know, face. I know. I think that Man City have the, <laughs> have the, uh, the, the uh, quality to cock up. Yeah, of course they do. They've got, they've got a, a very weak defence and the perfect manager to shoot himself in the foot. In a one-off game, yes, but over a whole season. Yeah, I agree. In a so one-off sure. game, the Guardiola can do Guardiola things and make really bizarre and odd decisions that don't work. But across the season, they are the most consistent team. But you know, sometimes it comes down to one game. But anyway, yeah, Tom, go. Uh, you don't want to talk about Arsenal? Let's well, talk I about. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's do. Let's do a Spurs sandwich. Let's do a shit sandwich, shall we? You know, well, oh, okay. <laughs> the two the two slices of bread with. In the middle. Wow, that's nice, isn't it? That's uh, that's the host talking. To language, host Richard. Language to the guest like that is disgusting. <laughs> if I was the host of this show, I wouldn't talk to my guests like that. But anyway, no, you just critique that. them after each podcast. Yes, I'm not the host, so anyway. Um, so on to football. For me, I wasn't into football as a kid, like at all. Really, it wasn't for me. I was more into wrestling, to be honest. Uh, until I got uh, until right before Euro 96 I think the hype towards that tournament just really grabbed me really everyone was talking about it It, the tournament was in England and it felt exciting you know and I didn't really know a lot about 
the England England or the England players at that point until I started watching the tournament and I was hooked, you know. Alan Shearer, Paul Gascoigne, Stuart Pearce, David Seaman, those those guys were heroes to me, you know. Watching that England team. It's kind of the same situation with Spurs in ninety one when they won that trophy. You think, oh, they're great. They're amazing and they're gonna win, you know. I have a feeling that all of our stories are gonna start like this. <laughs> yeah, so you think, oh England, a great a great team, you know. Um Yeah, so um so year ninety six was the start for me really. Um first football game I ever saw live was Brighton, actually. At the old Golston oh, ground. Really? At the old Golston ground in ninety six. So I think it was just before year ninety six. Um in division two, which is now League One. Yep. So ninety six. This is the old Golston ground, and the game was abandoned after fifteen minutes because the supporters ran on the pitch and destroyed the ground because they were protesting oh, about their stadium yeah, being sold. Protesting a move, yeah. And they moved to the Withdean, which two I years heard, of Gillingham, but yeah, which I heard. Oh, two years of Gillingham, okay. But um, I heard the Withdean was a piece of shit. Gillingham, that's a yeah. They had to play, <laughs> wasn't it? Bloody yeah. hell. Yeah, they played at Gillingham for two years. The Withdean was a was an odd place because it had proper temporary wooden standing. Mm. And I watched a couple of games there. And I always got really nervous that the stand was going to collapse because you could feel it moving <laughs> under the people. Especially is, that, is that the one that the the Withdean, is that the one that you didn't even need to go to the stadium to watch the match? You could just park at the car park at the top of the hill and just watch the match from yes. up there. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. yeah. yeah. that's what we used to do. We used yeah. to go park at the car park okay. and just watch the game from the top of the hill. Yeah. I mean, I never went there to see a game, but I don't think I've heard of anything positive in that place. Because it's quite, it's, it's quite a drop down when you go from the car park. It's really it's quite steep, steep hill, steep, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a steep hill um, down into the Withdean um, sports complex. Yeah, the temporary stand, you, it, it, was always, it always felt like it was moving. It never felt like it was secure. And I always got really nervous that I was going to fall through the back of the stand or something. It was just going to collapse. So it Is wasn't that the, the one most... they were at before they went to the Amex? It was, yeah. Man, they really traded up, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Holy yeah, crap. That's like, that's like playing on a Sunday league pitch and then going and moving to bloody Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What playing like a swamp at Hurst Pier Point, if you remember playing in that game, Rich? Yeah, just and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, lads, next week we're at, uh, you know, um, Highbury. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> and we're yeah, playing, we uh, we're playing uh, Hurst Pier Point Rovers. <laughs> 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 Bloody like hell, Rams. what a trade up! Yeah, sorry, yeah, carry on. Uh, yeah, so that's the first game I ever saw live. Um, as to why I supported Arsenal, I don't know. They were just the first team that really grabbed me, really. Because um, they were first in the alphabet, yeah? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Open the book. It's like, like, like the players like Ian, Ian Wright, obviously. Uh, I like Adams and uh, Seaman for watching um, England play in that tournament. They were always on TV quite a lot on ITV at the time because they were in the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, obviously, got to two finals in a row in that competition. Won one of them and lost the and other one. And one where David Seaman got lobbed. In a precursor right. to the Ronaldinho goal. He loves that. Yeah, that's right. So I think that's mainly because they're uh, on TV. Oh, an exposed player, I might add. Yeah, no, moving on. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, everyone at, everyone, everyone at school supported Man United back in the day, you know, pretty much. And I really had no interest in that. Um, my dad even said to me, if you don't support Man United, then I'm not taking you up to 
to go and see him. But I, I had no really interest in anyway. First game I ever saw for Arsenal at Highbury was against Aston Villa in 96. First game that I saw Arsenal play at the Emirates when they moved there in 2006 and I got my season ticket was against Aston Villa as well. How did you pay for that season ticket? A lot. <laughs> they were not going into it. Yeah, let's not talk finance. Um, Arsenal didn't win either of those games. They're both draws. So yeah, um, getting into Arsenal uh, 96-97 was my first like proper season of watching the Premier League. And that was when Arsene Wenger came in. Uh, so we, obviously uh, Vieira came in pretty soon after. Um, yeah, Burkamp and Wright playing up front together and we started to look like a decent team. And then the next season we won double you know so pretty soon after pretty good success really and obviously i got a season ticket when um highbury was we moved out of highbury and went to the emirates in 2006 otherwise probably we never got a season ticket i had one for nine years um saw us won the, the league in 98 at highbury against everton which probably the best goal i've ever seen live was tony adams in that game the fourth goal um, iconic goal and iconic commentary as well. I was thinking the Lighthouse family when I see that goal. The Lighthouse family? Yeah, it's yeah. Shame. On TV, they, they were doing, uh, what was it? Um, we are gonna be forever. Let me. And it was like recapping Arsenal's season. And it was like, always keep me flying. <laughs> As Adam uh, okay. And he's just doing the. The slow turn yeah, with the yeah, lighthouse yeah, family yeah. going off in the background. It's just like... Yeah. So I've been, been lucky enough to see us win the league live and to win the FA Cup live as well um, in 2014, which was our first trophy in nine years. We were 2-0 down against Hull in the first 10 minutes and then came back to win 3-2. Uh, Santi Casola scored one of the best goals I've seen live in that game as well. Free kick. Beautiful free kick in that game. Um, as for like best player of of all time, it's a very tough one to answer. Possibly Burkamp, I'd probably say. Um, maybe just ahead of Ian Wright. I loved Ian Wright; just an amazing character. Obviously, I love Henri and Vieira, you know, but they're the obvious choices, you know. Um, worst moment as an Arsenal fan? Yeah, it's got to be losing the Champions League final to Barcelona. I haven't really cried much of all in my life. Uh, Euro 96, losing to Barcelona in that Champions League final, and last year's um, Euro final. It's probably the only three I can think of off the top of my head that I've blubbered at. <laughs> like a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I, when we lost the Champions League final, I did think that maybe that was our chance, and uh, as of today, yeah, it was. But, you know, who, who knows? Maybe sometime in the future, after I die, We'll win the championship. You've got a six-year run of winning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to qualify for the thing first. Oh, granddad, if you only you were here to see this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much everything covered, unless this is something I've missed. Favorite tournament. Favorite tournament. Yes, which I brought up myself. Um, yeah, it's gonna be United Six, isn't it? Really? Because <laughs> that's what got me hooked on football. That England team, the game against Scotland, the Gaza goal in that game. Um, the game against Holland, what performance that was, some of the goals in that game as well. The Stuart Pearce penalty against Spain when he showed all that motion. Um, Germany game, the Gaza missed by like an inch, you know. Southgate missed the penalty. 
know, iconic moments that still we still think of now as England fans, you know? That great kit. And that was as good as it got for England in tournaments until World Cup 2018, really, wasn't it? The last two tournaments have been, you know, been great to see us play at a competitive level like that again. You know, I'm sure these players that play now, you know, come here as the kids that are watching now, like Shearer and Gaza were to us back then, you know. Um, yeah, so I've got to go for United 6. And uh, South Africa 2010 is the worst tournament I've ever seen. Boring tournament, Vivian Zayers, awful. Okay. Apart from sexy fun time Germany. Sexy fun time Germany. Apart from that, yeah. Okay. So I guess it's me now. Uh, so I started playing football when I was about four years old. Ooh. And that's, but I, I never really understood it when I was that age. You know, it was always more like, I don't really think I ever started really understanding football. Like the first game I yeah, remember I watching and it all clicking in my head was the um, uh, 1995 FA Cup final. Um, Everton Man United. 1996 FA Cup final. Uh, Man United Liverpool. United That's Chelsea. the one. Yeah. United Liverpool, yeah. Spice yeah. Boys yeah, in the yeah. white suits, wasn't it? That was a boring game as well. Yeah, the first game I actually remember uh, like fully understanding, yeah, was that that um, Man United Liverpool um, FA Cup final. Um, that was the Spice Boys final, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, the yeah. White Suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. White Suits. And Eric Cantona scored the volley from the edge of the box, and yeah, it was a boring game. It wasn't great, I remember that. But that was the first game I ever remember watching. But, like, all the time I was a kid at school, all of the cool kids liked Liverpool. Really? Yeah, so I liked Liverpool because all the cool kids liked Liverpool without really understanding football. And then my dad is a Spurs is a Spurs fan, and he we, was going to say yeah. He was watching um, uh, January first, nineteen ninety six, uh, Tottenham four, Man United one, um, and yeah, I remember thinking at the time, man, you are the best team in the world. Tottenham just beat the best team in the world. That must <laughs> mean the Tottenham are the best team in the world. And yeah, oh. so. Naive, like said, the naivety of children. Very similar to you guys' stories, you know. Yeah. Like, oh my god, they're the greatest team in the world now. Because that's how I thought it worked, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like a ranking system. You beat that team and you become the best team in the world. Remember when we yeah. did that with the FA over uh, the World Cup? And we tried to work yes. out if the World Cup was um transferred by winning oh, like yeah, a championship yeah, yeah, belt, yeah. who would be the world champions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. That was that was cool. Um, yeah, so that was like that was when I started supporting Tottenham, supporting Tottenham because, like I said, I didn't really understand football, like, you know, case in point, until like later on that see uh, that season or, or later on the next year, I guess. No, ninety six, yeah. Um, and then watched uh, Euro ninety six and everything like that as well, and obviously got into it all about then. Favorite player is Teddy Sheringham. Don't know why. It was just something that really clicked with me when I was a kid. Um, and then once I started to understand, you can just watch him throughout his entire career. He 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 was always a really good player. I don't think anyone ever said, he just fell off a cliff. He was just rubbish. Very intelligent player. Age. Yeah. So he, ne- he was never, he when he was younger, he was a bit quicker. So he could play as like a number 90 kind of player. Then he got older and he started to lose his pace. 
but you could see that his brain was intelligent. He had a footballing brain, so he the pace didn't really bother him because he always ended up being in the right place at the right time anyway. You know, he's a decent goal scorer, but he's a really good creator as well. You just need to look at that um, Holland game uh, where, yeah. I mean, he yeah, scored two goals in that game yeah. and then had two assists in that game, you know? so And the one, the second assist for Shearer... Yes. Yeah, one of the best assists I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's like iconic, that goal, isn't it? So, But yeah, so so that's why I always loved him. I just, you know, and then, yeah, like I like liked him. I followed him for his career. I, I followed him at Man U as well. Um, this this is the other thing as well that I was, I was going to say while you were talking about Arsenal is that I'm a bit of an oddity. Um, and I think I have really big nostalgia for like late 90s football. Because I actually liked a lot of teams in like 97, 98, 99. Like, I really enjoyed watching Arsenal. I really liked the Arsenal team. I used to play as them on FIFA quite a lot because um, they had like Overmars, Anelka, uh, Petit, Vieira, Bergkamp, Wright. You know, they had some great players. And I actually really enjoyed watching Arsenal. I really liked watching Man U play um, in 99, for instance, you know, because Sheringham was there. So I'd watch. Mm them play i didn't support them but i used to like them uh even right down to teams like wimbledon i really liked wimbledon as well i like they had like john hartson and like effin Koku and then yeah. um who else uh that it was post dennis wise um in midfield Neil Sullivan, chris perry those sorts of players or even leonard johnson yeah. Yeah, yeah like uh, who came to spurs so chris yeah. perry came to spurs as well neil sullivan came neil to spurs Sullivan's. neil sullivan came to spurs yeah but yeah, so I just really liked, like, I really loved football in like the late nineties. I like, I just started watching loads of teams, you know, like Italian football on it, like Italia ninety, um, Ita- goal, bloody football hell. Italia, football Italia. Football. Thank you, yeah. yes. Italia ninety. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, thank you. But it was oh, what we had on TV, it, you know, wasn't yeah. it? Because not every um, household could have Sky TV at the time, so yeah, it was still so you watched much what you could, you know, yeah, you, yeah. So if you were watching ITV's coverage of European football, you would watch a lot of United and Arsenal and uh, things like that. Chelsea and the other European competitions that were on TV. Chelsea, again, the late 90s Chelsea. I really loved them. Zola, Flo, Viali, you know, like... I mean, you remember all European football used to be on terrestrial when we were kids. Yeah. So that's how we would have known those teams from watching... Yeah, and and that's why and I had a FA big Cup affinity was a lot bigger teams. on the BBC as well, wasn't it? You you yeah. get a lot more of the FA Cup games. It would be a proper full weekend of fixtures that would run all day on the Saturday and the Sunday on the BBC. A little yeah. bit like Premier League does now on the Sky, but because for us it was if you didn't have Sky Sports because you couldn't like your parents didn't want to pay for it, you couldn't afford it, or you know it was it was, it was an expensive now, luxury. Really, though. isn't it? It's still but it, it was a lot more of an expensive. A lot more, lot more of a luxury because now you need them for, by proxy of the internet, don't you? So you kind of have those there, and you've obviously with YouTube, you've got more access. For us, terrestrial TV, that terrestrial TV football was what we lived and died by. Yeah, which Back is why day, I, I like focus um, grandstand for final score. You know, that was that was our religion teletext. on Saturday. <laughs> yep, teletext. Yeah, or CFAX. On, yeah. on, oh, on, yeah. one was CFAX, one was Teletext, weren't they? I like, can't remember which C-Fax way around. BBC, I think. <laughs> there you go. See, makes sense. CFAX. Um, but yeah, so I really liked a lot of, um, uh, night, late 90s football. I liked a lot of teams, like, even as a Spurs fan, I liked Arsenal, you know, like, so that's why I've never really had this 
uh, boo, Arsenal, like, you know, like you do. You're just a, you know, shallow piece of crap that's just like, oh, stand up if you ain't Tottenham. It's like, we're playing Southampton, you know. You know I critique that, so yeah, why are no, you criticising me for that? I know, but you are very biased towards Arsenal. I am, yes. Favourite tournament? I'm going to go for 98. Yeah. I really like, because okay. that was when I was really, really understanding football. 96, mm. I was still kind of learning everything and it was very emotional the whole england thing and everything like that and and i loved watching it don't get me wrong but i really liked france 98 i think that was the first time where i was like actually because we got to watch the games at school as well you know and yeah, it was, that point. was that was something you know do you remember in icc like the we got they, they gave us all the afternoon off to watch the england game um england tunisia wasn't it yeah england tunisia I yeah didn't get that. they they gave Everyone, the whole school, the yeah, afternoon did, off, yeah. and we could go watch it in the hall. No, I didn't get that. Yeah, so I, I yeah. it was kind of like a really camaraderie experience, and um, like Ronaldo and Zidane in that tournament, and I'm so gutted that the final was never, you know, it never lived up to that. You know, Ronaldo had that seizure, yeah, and it was kind of a shame, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like Ronaldo versus Zidane, and and the advert, the the TV advert of that, you know, the, oh, oh, the TV advert was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just all of that just made me love that tournament. Uh, worst tournament, anything from 2000, really. 2000, <laughs> 2002, 2004, 2006, 2008, pretty much pick one. And I would tell you that one sucked because I barely remember any of them. <laughs> like, you say, like, oh, like, who, who did, who, who won Euro 2000? France? Who did they play in the final? Yes. Yeah, they did, yeah. Uh, Italy. Uh, the, the Spain, I think. Spain. There you go. See? There you go. <laughs> Two different answers there. Not memorable. 2002. Okay, that was memorable. But that's memorable for all the wrong reasons because I that was the first time I crashed my car in 2002 going to watch an England game. So, yeah. 2004. Was that uh, the England-Brazil game? Yeah, the England-Brazil yeah. game, yeah. So, just a bad day all around there. Uh, 2004. Who won that tournament? Greece. I don't know. Yeah, Greece. Yeah, that was right. They beat Portugal. Portugal. Yeah, yeah, but golden goal. I don't remember anything from that tournament. Rudy. 2000. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Only tournament he was good in. 2006. Who won <laughs> that? I don't know. Uh, Italy. Yeah. There you go. Italy, that Italy, was because I stopped. Yeah. Basically, pick any tournament <laughs> from the 2000s. Decided to headbutt the Italian player in the last yeah. like five minutes of extra period of extra time. But it wasn't just well, international football. There are big periods of club football that I don't remember. I like there's Tottenham got to another League Cup final and lost to Leicester. I do not remember that season at all. Blackburn. Was it Blackburn? Yes. There you go. See, I thought it was Leicester. See? I anything for we some beat, reason. We beat Leicester. I, we beat the, Leicester the, the in ninety eight. Right. In ninety eight. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. But then I thought the the one that Leicester won was against Tottenham. But okay, it was against Blackburn. So this is what I'm saying. For some reason, the 2000s is just a dark chasm in my brain when it comes to football for some reason. I think I just completely zoned out. I think it's because, yeah, like my football career was pretty much over and it was just, yeah, I just kind of just, it, I just, I just, sucked. I just blacked out during that period. You know, there are whole seasons I just do not remember. You know, in that period. So yeah, that anything from the two thousands basically, just pick one. Um <laughs> greatest moment slash worst moment 
I want to say the Champions League final because my whole life I said if I can see Spurs play in the Champions League I will be happy with that and I got to achieve that when I went to go see them play young boys in the qualifier that was the first ever Champions League match for Spurs at home at White Hart Lane and I was there and that was amazing for me. That was absolutely incredible. And then, later that season, I got to... See, this might be my favourite moment as well. Inter Milan at home in the Champions oh, League. Oh, what a game. I was there at the stadium with my dad. And we watched that game. Yeah, I think that. I think that's yeah, probably much. my favourite moment. They were the holders. The, the, way your fa- the way your face is lighting up about it now, you, I would definitely say that was your favourite moment. But just to see Spurs play in the Champions League final is amazing for me as well. Yeah. Considering I was happy just to see them play in the Champions If we got knocked out in that qualifying round, I wouldn't have cared because we were in the Champions League. I never thought I would see that, you know. And then we got to the final and it's just like, Wow, like, I mean, we should have won that. But the fact that we didn't, I don't even care. You know, because we got there, that was like... And the journey was memorable, wasn't it? Yeah. The game against City, the game against Ajax. exactly. It was just an amazing... But... Green kick. It's so close. It's so close. Honestly, it's like Harry Kane, pinky (laughs) toe, offside close. But I think I have to go for Tottenham versus Inter Milan at White Hart Lane in that first season of the Champions League. Also, best goal I've seen as well. In that game? In that game. Gareth Bale. Bale. Just absolutely ripped Mike on. The best right back in the world to smithereens. And you never saw Mike on ever again. He faded yeah, into he obscurity. Off the face of the earth, didn't he, he? He slinked into a cave. He never played for Man City. I don't know what you're talking about. He slinked into a cave somewhere and he passed from this realm into I mean, the afterlife. I mean, he did play for Man City, but he barely played for them. He didn't really he, do anything. He was a backup, wasn't he? Yeah. That that yeah. those two games against Spurs destroyed his career. Probably. Yeah, he was the greatest right back did. in the world at that point. And you never heard about him again after Gareth Bale tore him to shreds. And that goal, yeah, was just... I got to see that live in the Champions League, which I never thought I would ever see Spurs in the Champions League. And I got to see that with my dad, who I don't share a lot of um, moments with. There are a few moments in my life that mean so much to me because they were shared with my dad and that's one of them and i can name two more and that's basically it and yeah that's probably my greatest ever moment and greatest goal that i ever saw as well i've probably seen better goals probably but it means but it it means means, so much to see that yeah and you know it was just like this guy that just had basically had nothing at spurs for so long just exploded onto the scene and destroyed like 
the the champion the established champions league teams yeah that was amazing yeah def I, I think it's so close it is so close but i think i have to go for that moment but yeah champions league final as well was incredible i mean i felt like crap afterwards obviously but <laughs> yeah but i wasn't i wasn't like you i wasn't like devastated and crying and stuff like that because i I think the difference is is that Arsenal, you you expected to win that, and then you were like, and then you were like, we should be winning Champions Leagues, damn it! We're so great, we're so amazing. Whereas a Spurs fan, I'm just like, holy crap, we got to the Champions League final. That is amazing. Felt like crap for a few minutes, but after that, it was just like, I got to see them play in the Champions League final. I never thought I'd even see them play in the Champions League. So yeah. It's so close, but yeah, that's very difficult to pick between those two. But yeah, that's probably my answer. I think that's fair. Did I miss one? I can't remember if I missed one or not. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Worst moment, all of the one day Ramos years. Uh, not one day Ramos, um, Christian Gross. One day <laughs> yeah. Ramos, he won a trophy. That he was did. good. Yeah. yeah. Last trophy yeah. we won. Yeah. yeah, there you go. If you want to, if you want to, because they were both. Pretty bad, but it's the Ramos caveat is he won a he trophy. Won a trophy. Yeah, I mean, nearly got us relegated. So, one day Ramos is the most successful manager for Spurs and Pochettino. Yep, yep. I mean, probably not statistics wise, I imagine. <laughs> no, <but> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't okay. I'm going to move us on into the Hall of Fame, gentlemen. Uh-huh. Uh, again, there's not going to be any tie break this time, I don't think. Um, unless I need to make it, but that's okay. a little bit... You think we're going to vote una- unanimous- I think unanimously? Unanimously, okay. yes. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, we're still in the World Cup, so I'm going to give it a bit of an international flavour. Uh, we are talking most appearances at World Cup finals. Ooh. So... With 25 appearances at World Cup Finals, we have Lothar Herber Mateus. Yeah, He was born the 21st of March, 1961 in Erlingen, West Germany. He began his youth career at FC, forgive me, Nina, FC Herzogenerach. Do you want me to pronounce that? If you think you can. So, I, well, you got to get the piece of paper. Right? I don't want to see all the stats. It's the second line down. Good. Yeah, I can stand <laughs> up. <laughs> that was garbage. I was play. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, uh, yeah. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continuing into his adult career before, in 1979, moving to Borussia Mönchengladbach. I can do that one. Yep, yep. Yep. Uh, the, the following year, he would make his international debut by uh, being selected for the West German Euro 1980 squad and going on to win the tournament. So he made his debut in that squad, in that tournament, and he won the tournament. Pretty impressive. Yeah, Two years later, he would make the first of his 25 appearances in World Cups, coming on as a sub against Chile, being a losing finalist in that specific tournament. 
he would make his last appearance in his fifth World Cup finals um, in Germany's 3-0 loss in the France 1998 quarterfinals to Croatia. One final tidbit for you. In 2018, at the age of 57, Lothar Mateus came out of retirement to play 50 minutes for his boyhood and first club, FC Herzogenegarach. Hi everybody, future Richard here. Just interrupting briefly because um, at this point in the recording, for some reason, our microphones just cut out and started not performing properly at all. So we've been having some issues with our audio equipment for the past couple of weeks. It's caused no amount of problems on most recordings. Not quite sure what's going on with it at the moment. I'm still looking into it, still trying to rectify the problems as we speak right now. but. It didn't last long, fortunately, on this occasion. There have been instances where I've lost the entire recording, so not particularly fun. But this time, we did manage to pick it up again a little bit later. But brief period of this recording was lost, I'm afraid. But we pick up again, listing some of Lothar Mateus's honours and titles that he won, but unfortunately, not all of them. Sorry for the interruption, guys. I hope you enjoy the show nonetheless. Eleven three times, and he was named in the FIFA all-time 100 list. So, a legend by any stretch of the imagination. Or, the most capped player at World Cup Finals, with 30 appearances, is Christine Marie Lily Heavey, who was born on the 22nd of July, 1971, in New York City, USA. Very oddly, Christine made her international debut before starting her professional career, being called up to the USA squad while still attending high school in 1987. Her professional career not including college football at the University of North Carolina, for which she was not paid, began at Swedish side Tireso FF in 1994, a full six years after her international debut. And still three years after her first of five World Cup final appearances. She would make her 30th World Cup appearance in 2007 against Norway, claiming third in that tournament, becoming the first woman and third player overall to appear in five World Cups. Oldest woman to score at a World Cup finals and most tournament appearances of all time. Now, disgustingly, the records for her stats are woeful. Um, if anyone can help fill these in, please do so. I looked at like 12 websites with statistics and everything like that. And pretty much all of them said the exact same thing. So bear that in mind when you're making this decision, this is by no way a complete list because yeah, there are years of like her, 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 of her record that are just blank. Like, she was with this club and she made no appearances and no goals. So, which is, like, ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, just bear that in mind when you're uh, um, 
thinking about this. So from the information available that I was able to find, which I don't think is correct, she played 67 times, scoring 23 goals with 354 caps for her country and 130 <laughs> goals. So the likelihood that she only plays 67 times is a little bit unlikely. It's, uh, yeah, pretty slim. Um, I was going to say, would she have had a contract with the USA team just to play for them? Uh, no. Uh, she just would have had a contract. No, I don't think they had central contracts. She point, would have had a central contract with USA, but it wouldn't have restricted her from having a professional career at the same time. Right, okay. The, the problem is, is that the USA central contract system was very controlled, so they could choose who you could go and play for. But having said that, she spent most of her career in Sweden. Um, and I'm pretty sure she didn't play only 67 games in Europe. That's mm. kind of unlikely. She did move back to the USA and played for some US teams uh, before the um, the Women's Super League out there. There was like the like the divisional leagues and stuff like that. Pretty much how the MLS is now is split down into regions. Right. So... Uh, but I couldn't find any information on that. But I'm, I'm going to cover something else in a minute with regards to that. Uh, she won, again, only international, I'd like to point out, two World Cups, two Olympic gold medals, one Olympic silver, and was inducted into the US Hall of Fame. Now, like I said, couldn't find any statistics on any of her club uh, uh, honours, if any. I'm not sure if she won any domestic league titles or any domestic cups. I'm not sure about that. This was literally all I could find. Um, I'm also going to say she won the national championship every year she was at university. However, that is not professional, which is why they aren't usually counted when I count US players, because it's not professional. Yeah. But because I couldn't find her any decent records, I decided to include that here. So... For four years, she won the national championship every year with her team of, uh, what did I say, North Carolina, wasn't it? Yeah, University yeah. of North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I felt that she, um, because her records are so poorly represented, I felt that she deserved a little bit better on that front. So, yes, those are you two choices, gentlemen. Please debate, discuss, ask questions. If you've already made your decision, that's fine, but maybe eke it out just a tiny bit. Mm, it's not love statistics to go on, I'm afraid, mate. It is very <laughs> poor record keeping. I don't know why it's so bad when other US players are, are, are mm. documented so much, but I don't know. I couldn't find anything. It's just, I mean, the, the only things I would say is, is, is look at her statistics from what is available. You know, she won. Every year she went to university, she made her international debut when she was still at high school. <laughs> so she was 16 yeah, yeah. when she made her international debut. I'm not saying these aren't impressive statistics, but I just need a little bit more, you know, uh, to, to go for her. So, Aktung, Man Darwin and Terland. Lotha Mateus. He's proper showing off today, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little bit of German, I know. The, the brief bit of German. <laughs> Crankenhouse. It's just ambulance it's all the time. Ambulance. Gesundheit. <laughs> Schnitzel. Uh, ich habe eine große Familie. Is it me? What does that mean? I have a big family. <laughs> you do, though. That can't. Das ist mein Vater. Uh, mein Mutter. Das ist mein Mutter. Das ist mein Schwester. 
Very good. Uh, Geister actor. Richard and Tom speak German. Yeah, yeah I did German at school. Uh, I didn't. I um. Yeah, so did I. I. I don't know. I. I. I did it, but I can't remember much of it. I. I barely did English at school. So, um, Phelan, <laughs> what are we thinking? Um, for me, I am going to. You know, maybe mull it over in your head a little bit first. You know, you don't have to like cut this I section have. so short. <laughs> no, for I, you know, we were talking about you know watching nineties football, growing up with that and whatnot. Spent a lot of time. You know, Germany were on TV a lot from through the tournaments. Lothar Matthias is an absolute legend. I don't care who he would have been up against. I would have always picked Lothar Matthias. What if I put him up against Pele? Maradona. Johan Cruyff. George Best. Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> I'd take Matthias over Zidane. Oh, okay. And probably Best as well, to be fair. I mean, oh, okay. Best. Probably. What the, the, you know, they're different players, and Mateus, you know, for his longevity, for what he was able to achieve in an era where it science wasn't really involved much with football, to be able to play in five World Cups. Science has always been, in, in, you know, in the Germans. The Germans have always been on the forefront of science, you know. Yeah, but you talk about making his debut in 1980. That's that's significantly. He's done very well to be able to appear that way through, and at a time when people, you know, footballers weren't necessarily like taking care of themselves as much as we think they, as much as they do now mm-hmm. to have that like, that longevity in the club career that he's had like with said, the he was still in good won. enough shape that he could carry on playing at 57 you know that's pretty impressive exactly you know? it's something, something that significantly pushes out over the top so yeah i'm gonna say low for mateus okay so just before i induct low to mateus into the uh, hall of fame something i wanted to say so we have seen at the moment, the upper limits of this is five or I think, isn't he? He's, he's on five, right? Is he on five? No, he's on five. Six, ten, yeah. fourteen, eighteen, twenty-two. Okay. So if, yeah. I think Messi could potentially play the next World Cup. No, I don't see it. I mean, potentially he could. I think Messi will re- I, I think he'll retire after I, this I think he will, but personally. I mean he And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that is where the final cut of the microphone actually came in. Which is a shame because you got to miss us inducting Lothar Matthäus into the Hall of Fame. You got to miss some more epic German from from myself whilst I inducted him into the Hall of Fame. I can assure you that it was actually perfect as well. It was fluent. It made total sense. It was um, uh, wunderbar, as they say in Deutschland. But uh, yeah, that is where the microphones actually finally gave out so as i said i'm looking into this problem at the moment i'm trying to explore what issues there are i'm not an audio technician so if anyone can give me any idea what might be causing the problem microphones drop out and the sound just becomes terrible um it sounds like someone trying to murder a robot basically uh if anyone knows anything about audio audio work audio problems anything like that feel free to get in touch with us uh on discord uh we are at rich t entertainment on there or you can leave a comment wherever you listen to this podcast but yeah that is it for this week i'm afraid no sign off for any of us but uh hopefully next time the audio will be a little bit better but i want to thank you for listening to this episode as it is for sticking with us for bearing through with the problems and i hope that by next episode it will be fixed But until then, thank you very much for listening. Take care.
Hat dir die Folge gefallen? Dann höre doch gerne bei 742 Evergreen Terrace, The Simpsons Podcast, rein. Dies ist eine Rich Tea Entertainment Produktion. Vielen Dank fürs Zuhören.